Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. reminded this week of a scene from Monty Python and the quest for the Holy Grail. As King Arthur uh, rides his horse, as it were, around Britain, he is collecting all of the knights and noblemen that he can to join him and his quest for the Holy Grail. At one point, uh, he approaches a castle. And this castle doesn't seem to have any lights on, uh, doesn't seem to have anyone home. And so he asks one of the workers there in the field, who lives in that castle? The worker in the field then proceeds to give an intense government lesson to King Arthur about where the right of power derives from and how the fact that some watery tart distributing weapons is no basis for a form of government. And this character goes on and on and on, continuing to explain all of these things to King Arthur. Well, King Arthur just keeps coming back to the same question. Yes, but who lives in that castle? Yes, but, but who is the Lord that lives in the, is there a knight that lives in, who lives in the castle? Who lives in the castle? Who lives in the castle? And of course, as time goes on, as this, this peasant will not answer his question, he becomes increasingly frustrated. So as soon as he walks over and shakes the peasant and says, just tell me who lives in the castle, of course, the peasant begins to scream. Now you can see the violence inherent in the system. Come around. Come see me. I'm being oppressed. Everybody gather around. Come and see me. Right? This is, this is a scene that we remember very well. But I want to bookmark that. I want to remind you of that. But we're going to come back to that in a second. Because what I really want to talk about this morning is suffering. See, that's a hard right turn. Specifically, suffering as Christians. See, we don't really experience true suffering for the sake of being a Christian. Sure, we might get some snide comments here and there. But it's nothing like our brothers and sisters in India and China, the Middle East and Northern Africa experience. And any time we read a Bible passage about suffering and just sort of import our uh, daily frustrations into it, we do a disservice to those brothers and sisters. Those places where worshiping brings fear of arrest, brings fear of murder. And so what happens is because we don't really experience that sort of, of, of real suffering, of, of serious suffering, we don't have any real pushback. What happens is we become like that peasant in Monty Python. Anytime we are inconvenienced because of our faith, we cry wolf. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said it very well. He said this, We must not make the vulgar mistake of saying we are persecuted any time we are contradicted. 
Let me read that again because, because this is, this is really good. We must not make the vulgar mistake of saying that we are persecuted anytime that we are contradicted. See, we as the Christian church here in America do not experience suffering in any systemic way. Not like the church of old, not like the church around the world. We just don't. But then we come to these Bible passages, like the passage that I'm going to read in just a minute. These passages where the Bible tells us about suffering. About how suffering is a part of the Christian life, and it kind of doesn't make sense to us. So what do we do? What do we do with these passages in the Bible that say that part and parcel of the Christian life is to suffer? Well, in one way, we can just make it about all of our, all of our little things. All, you know, somebody, somebody, somebody saw a Christian bumper sticker on my car, and that's why they cut me off. I'm being persecuted <laughs> from being attacked for my faith. Right? We sort of take anything that we can. Oh, that, that store was open on Sunday, and I feel personally attacked by the fact that that store was open on Sunday. We are being persecuted. And we sort of read into any minor slight the idea that everyone is against us. And in doing so, again, we minimize the fact that there are churches that are meeting this morning, that are meeting under fear of imprisonment. Our biggest fear is that our parking validation won't work. Or that the pastor will speak too long and that two-hour parking slot we tried to slide into might have a visit from the local parking enforcement place. Those are our biggest fears in coming to church this morning. Maybe Justin's going to talk too long and they'll be out of the good sushi at Locale Market by the time we're done. Anytime we sort of put our minor American Christian suffering on the same level as the worldwide church's level of suffering, we are minimizing that and doing a disservice to our brothers who we, just a few moments ago in the Apostles' Creed, bound ourselves to. But the other response is not good either, is to just move on. Well, you know, since I don't really suffer, this isn't about me, let's move along and find something more interesting. When we do that, we miss the point that the whole of the Bible is for the whole of the church all of the time. So here's what I want to do. I want to read this passage, and then I want to work through it together with you. So if you would, please stand up. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 19. Peter writes this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, 
What will become, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this evening, this morning. You may be seated. So as we read this passage, one of the things that can jump out at us, one of the things that we see is the fact that we don't suffer. Not, not in a lot of ways like this. But when we do suffer, when we do suffer those smaller things, we don't even do that well. We don't have any large-scale type of suffering, but even when we experience small-scale suffering, we don't do it well. And we don't do it well for a number of reasons. One of the reasons we do it is because we are surprised any time that we suffer. Any time that we suffer, we are surprised. And we shouldn't be. First of all, Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered throughout his life, not just in his passion on the cross, but throughout his life. Not only that, Peter tells us, look, don't be surprised It's not strange. Peter says, suffering is not strange. It's not surprising. It is something that is part and parcel, a normal part of the life of a Christian. And Peter is preparing his people to suffer because because it's a lot easier to be prepared for something than it is to suffer by surprise. Think about that. Uh, Think about the times where perhaps you have had a family member pass away. Which is easier for you to deal with? Those sudden unexpected passings or those passings that have, have sort of been a long time coming? Those things that have been a long time coming are usually easier for us to deal with. We have looked ahead and we have began to prepare ourselves for it. I had a couple of friends in South Carolina and Their names were Jimbo and Bruce, and they are exactly uh, what you're imagining. Two guys named Jimbo and Bruce from South Carolina were like. And I can remember one day Jimbo and Bruce telling me, look, I can handle anything, anything in the world I can handle with three days notice. Just don't surprise me. Right? You know, I I had to ask them to do something hard to, to take care of something big at the church, and they said, look, you need it done by Wednesday? Yeah, I need it done by Wednesday. Great. We can do that. It's not a problem. Why? Because I've got time to prepare. I'll go to sleep early. I'll come in late. I'll do, I can, if, I've got, if I can be prepared for it, there's nothing I can't handle on three days notice. That was Jimbo and Bruce's philosophy. For so many of us, this is true too, right? If we know in advance that something's going to happen, we can prepare for it. Guess what, church? Peter is giving you that same sort of advance notice. Yay! Except it's about suffering. But it's true. City Church, you will suffer for being a Christian. That is part of what it means to be a Christian. Part of the, the sort of way that we look at Jesus is the pattern that he gives us again and again and again of his suffering that leads to his glory. That we identify with that 
But not only do we identify, not only do we find ourselves in union with Christ, but we also see ourselves living that out as well. And so we should not be surprised. We should expect it. It is absolutely something that we know will come along. So don't be surprised. And the second thing is, don't moan and complain about suffering when it comes into your life. You know, it's interesting. Most churches uh, would, would distance themselves from what's called, uh, what we often talk about as the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. This idea that God does not want you to suffer at all, that God wants you to be healthy and rich and all of those things. And if you don't have those things, if you're sick or poor, the problem is not with something else that happened. No, the problem is you don't have enough faith. Now, we hear that and we go, ooh, that's bad. We sort of hear stories about churches that are abusive in the way that they deal with their finances, that are abusive in the way that they deal with people being sick, saying, you just need more faith. And we say, oh, that's not good. I don't like that. That's bad. But how many of us functionally live our lives as if that were true? How many of us functionally believe that in the way that we treat suffering? When something bad, when something frustrating happens in your life, how do you respond? Do you say, God, haven't I done this stuff? God, haven't I, haven't I been good? When you say that, when I say that, what we're believing is functionally that idea that God just wants us to be rich and happy. Church, I hate to tell you, but a servant is not above his master. If we want to see what our lives are going to look like most likely, let's look at the picture of Jesus. Was Jesus rich? Did Jesus never have any physical pain? So don't be surprised in your life if your life follows the same pattern. That is what we are to expect. You see, when we look at what's going on, not only do we question whether God should be doing this because of our moral behavior, but we doubt God. God, I thought everything was supposed to be easy. And for most of us, what we really need to do is reconsider the way that we think about God. Because for most of us, we think about God as somebody who just is around somewhere up in the sky to give us things whenever we're nice. We treat him as a year-round Santa Claus. And when he doesn't give us the nice things, we get frustrated or wonder if he's there. When we think about this, we're thinking about a figment of our imagination because that picture has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is a God who himself suffered. Who himself experienced pain poverty, and separation from those he loved. That is the picture that God tells us about 
himself. And we just want a cosmic Santa Claus who's going to make us feel better. No, we should expect to suffer because the picture of Jesus that we have is that he suffered. But because we live in America, because we live in the 21st century, where the worst thing we face as Christians is that some of our opinions are unpopular, something happens in us. Because we begin to go, oh, I, I don't really suffer for Jesus. Nobody's following me going to church. Not worried about somebody killing me. So then, anytime anybody does the slightest wrong to me, back to the Emerson quote, anybody who slightly contradicts me must be oppressing me. Now we see the violence inherent in the system, and we fixate on any small time somebody has a difference of opinion with us and say, and say oh, it's the worst thing in the world. We fixate on the most minor things and blow them up because we don't suffer. Or worse, here's what we do. We go looking for trouble. It's interesting that Paul, or sorry, Peter, in the midst of this passage, uh, lists out uh, a number of sins. So he talks about, uh, let nobody suffer because they're a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. Let's play a Sesame Street game, shall we? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Which one is the one that doesn't belong? Meddler, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't suffer as, as a murderer. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Good, solid Christian advice. Don't suffer as a thief. Got it, Peter. Going to try not to do that. Don't suffer as somebody who does this, this sort of idea of all sorts of evil, evil things. Got it. And then Peter says something funny. He says, don't be a meddler. If, if I were to, to translate this into something that most of us would use all the time, I'd say, don't be a narc. Don't be a tattletale. Don't be somebody who is unnecessarily in everybody else's business. Okay, Peter, I understand not murdering folks. Solid. Don't steal. Got it. Do all sorts of evil things. Not gonna. Don't be a busybody. Why? <laughs> Why does that make this list? And not only that, even as you read that verse, if you notice, Peter separates it out. He sort of emphasizes it. Why? Because what happens for most of us when we don't suffer is that we go looking for trouble. We go putting our nose in everybody else around us's business. Right? This is, this is what happens theoretically if you have three sons. <laughs> theoretically. Not that this is about my three sons. This is in theory. And perhaps the oldest son uh, is, is a little bit of a rule follower. I have seen times where he is quite content, or, uh, where, uh, theoretically, to go find what his brothers are doing and then start telling them that they're wrong and they shouldn't be doing that. You know, you, you know mom says you can't have Pop-Tarts between 4 and 5 o'clock. 
And then, okay, hypothetically, then his brothers get mad at him and he is shocked. <laughs> you know, he, he is just like, un, uh, 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 okay, we laugh at that, first of all, because most of us have probably seen that. <laughs> but let's be honest, how many of us do the exact same thing? We go out and, and we find somebody who's doing something that we disagree with and jump into Facebook and say, I don't like your attitude. And then those people say, why are you getting into my business? And then we go, oh, is this persecution? <laughs> is, is my faith on trial? Don't be a meddler. Just, just because you aren't currently suffering doesn't mean you have to go out and create suffering. Doesn't mean you need to create a martyr complex for yourself. You need to be faithful with what God has given you, not getting all up in anyone else's business you can find online. Anyone else's business you find around the city. It's not your job to fix every single problem you see. It's just not city church. But we go out looking for that trouble. He says, no, no, no. Don't suffer because you're a busybody. Suffer because you're a Christian. Suffer because of the unique ways that you are called to love others. Suffer because of the unique way you are called to live a different sort of life in the way that you are self-sacrificial for others. Suffer as a Christian because of the unique decisions you make to be in community with others. Suffer as a Christian for those things. But let's be honest. For how many of us has our belief in Jesus dug down that deep into the level of our actions and our motivations? Probably less of us than we care to imagine. And lastly, he says, when you suffer, don't be ashamed. And it's interesting because for many of us, when we, we think of shame, uh, we think of that, that thing that feels similar and adjacent to guilt. We think, you know, we always hear about guilt is, um, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Shame is, I'm sorry for the things that I am. And that is one way to approach shame. That's the sort of, uh, when we think of Brene Brown and sort of all the work that she has done on shame. But there's another shade of meaning to that word, which is something that we don't experience as much, but are experiencing more and more. In, in the ancient Near East, when Peter was writing, the entire culture was based on honor and shame. And so everything that you did either sort of earned you social capital or took social capital away from you. There is a, a, an episode of Black Mirror where, where it's almost like you have a credit score, except your credit score is how socially acceptable you are, right? And you won't date somebody with a lower score than you, or you wouldn't invite somebody to it. Wow, you're inviting a 700 to your wedding? Why would they even come? Right? And, and right? This idea of shame is this idea of the loss of social capital. Peter says, don't worry if you lose social capital 
for being a Christian. Why? Because what Jesus is doing in our lives is giving us an entire new way to account for ourselves. See, for many of us, the way that we live our lives right now is through this constant computation in our brain about what are the people around us going to think. Or maybe it's, what are my parents going to say? Or how am I going to justify myself at my 20 or 30 or 50 year reunion from high school? What are those people going to think about me? We are constantly doing the calculation of how are my actions affecting the way that everybody else is thinking and perceiving me. And what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that we have a completely new way to do those calculations. Those calculations are not based on how well we perform in the sight of everyone else. The calculation is solely based on what Jesus has already done for us. That is, he has taken our judgment. Because Peter begins to say that judgment is coming. That our actions, and specifically our sins, have consequences. And here's the way it works, City Church. Either judgment has already been taken for your sins by Jesus, or it still rests on you. Those are the only two ways that it goes. Either your sins are judged in Jesus, or you will be judged for the consequences of your sins. And so all of a sudden, the suffering that Jesus went through is not just an example. It's not just a nice way to live life. It's not just a moral thing that would be pretty nice to do. The suffering that Jesus experienced was redemptive. It was you and your value being shown. It was Jesus taking your sins on his shoulder so that he could give you his righteousness. So that all of a sudden when we are judged, we are not judged based on our performance, we are judged on Jesus' performance. And I think that's a pretty good track record. We are given Jesus' report card instead of our own. And so as we begin to see that, as we begin to see that as the point of our value, not how well we perform, but that Jesus has already performed for us, it begins to focus the lens of our life around suffering. Because suffering all of a sudden does not become an opportunity for me to lose social capital, to lose the things that matter. No, so, so suffering begins to be a way that I can participate in what Jesus is doing in this world. Because suffering connected to Jesus is always going to have value in changing lives. Whether ours or someone else's. And so that's why this passage ends. So then, anyone who is suffering for the sake of Jesus, let them entrust themselves to our Creator while doing good. He says the way that we are to continue to set our face as we do this is we continue to see what Jesus has already done on our behalf 
And as we begin to believe that, it changes us. It changes the way we perceive every social situation around us. It changes the way we perceive our parenting, the way that we respond to our family, the way that we respond in relationships. All these things are fundamentally changed because I'm no longer trying to seek value. I'm no longer trying to get honor out of these things. Instead, I'm finding my value in Jesus. And that allows me to freely love others. Even loving others to the point of suffering. May Jesus do that in our hearts this week. Let's pray.